Good morning. Thank you, Mark. I was trying to time it up as best as I could with the Zach Ellsworth. I'm of our cups. Get up here in time. Prairie View, and I get to preach once every several weeks or so. Uh, I make it sound random, but it's, it's like seven or eight weeks every time. Um, you were probably coming, trying out this new church, wanting to hear the senior pastor, and instead you got me. Uh, but that's okay. We're going to turn, our, before we do that, today, in God's Word, uh, in John 3. And before we do that, his help this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your church, for the church, for centuries. It gives us the book of common prayer that has been used for centuries town here in Fishers for 30 years. And the faithful people who, uh, through many hard work and love and prayer and faithfulness, have having studied your word uh, and preparing it for, for the cross that we stand under. Father, I, I, I pray that we never lose sight of that. And God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to see, help us to hear, that you would work on us through your word in the way that you have promised to do. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you again, Father, for the chance on Sundays to gather together with your people Familiar faces, new faces, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, united by something uh, profound and amazing um, that leads us to worship, leads us to love, leads us to all these things. Well, Father, again, as we turn into John 3, I, I just pray that you would help me to speak clearly, that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, have you... Have you ever had the unpleasant experience while driving of waking up from a daydream or finishing a conversation and realizing that you haven't really been paying attention to the road for what feels like quite some time? Now, maybe you're used to the drive and, and the, the reaction. Am I the only one that does that? Surely I'm not the only one who does that, right? But maybe you, you are so familiar with the drive or the highway, this stretch of road is just so straight and it's empty, it's, it's an easy drive, that you, you put your mind and maybe even your car into cruise control. And of course, you are here, you manage to drive safely, but I think we all can agree that that is not a safe way to drive. We have to pay attention, but we also can't pay attention to everything. We have to focus on the road, which means that you can drive the same road a thousand times and only see some new and interesting thing on that road on drive number 1001. It always amazes me how much I notice when I'm not driving. I can see the houses that I don't usually see, the trees, the the the, the water, all these different things that I, I never notice when I'm checking my mirrors, watching my speed, looking for knuckleheads out on the road who might threaten me. Right. So this morning, you may very well find yourself in familiar territory in John 3. But don't put your mind into cruise control. So you might know where we're going, and maybe you've been down this road a thousand times. But that doesn't mean it's safe to take this frequently traveled road for granted. And at the same time, I need, we need to not be so focused on the road, so focused on the familiarity of it that we completely miss the, 
the beauty, the influence of the landscape. You might know how to follow this particular roads and this particular roads bends and curves, but your time on this road will be improved, more beneficial, more enjoyable. If you see the hills, you see the mountains, you see the trees and the streams and the features that shape the roads course. No matter how many times you have driven down this road that we call, that I'm calling John 3, there are still new things to be seen and new challenges to be had. Or old things to be seen and old challenges to be remembered. And all of this as God's word continues to mold us and remake us into the image of Christ. And we desperately need to be remade. To become more like Jesus. On our best days, we might not think this. They're our best days for a reason. But on our worst days, you might suspect, I suspect, we suspect, we might even flat out know that we are not enough. Contrary to every movie, every TV show, every song, even our commercials, right? contrary to all of those things... You are not enough. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you will come to see that you don't have to be. John 3 says, you are not enough and you don't have to be. So let's see how this begins to work itself out in John. So let's read John 3 verse 1 this morning. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So John 3 is going to tell us about an encounter between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus. Now right away we're told Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which tells us that he was a highly religious individual. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have spent countless hours rigorously studying what we call the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. He was no dummy. Nicodemus was a smart guy. And not only was he no dummy, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling assembly, the ruling group of people in Jerusalem. So Nicodemus was a man of power and prestige and privilege. He is as good as it gets in first century Jerusalem. Now what precedes that verse prepares us for how the rest of the story is going to unfold. Because at the end of John 2, in verses 23 through 25... We read that many people were believing in Jesus. Many people were seeing his signs and believing. But then John makes this somewhat confusing statement. He says, Jesus did not entrust himself to them, for he himself knew what was in man. So when John 3 immediately describes Nicodemus as a man of the Pharisees, this last statement should still be echoing, rattling around in our brains. However you choose to interpret Jesus' lack of trust, what is made clear is that something is lacking in mankind. Something is lacking in Nicodemus. Something is lacking in you and I. So when Nicodemus is introduced along with these impressive 
credentials, you are supposed to be impressed. You are supposed to be impressed with his importance, but only as it serves to highlight what he still lacks. Because if even such a man as Nicodemus is not enough, who can be? Before we answer that question, we need to clarify how we're measuring these things. Because John tells us something is lacking in mankind, and he tells us that you and I and Nicodemus are not enough. But enough for what? And to answer that question, uh, we just have to look a little further. It's not completely obvious, but it's not hard to piece together. So the next two verses, John 3, 2, and 3 say this. It says, This man came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, Rabbi, oh, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a remarkable statement. It is a foundational verse for Christian doctrine. Many of you know this stretch of road and you know it well. But do you know the landscape? Do you know why the road bends this way? Or to jump out of that metaphor, how on earth is Jesus's comment an appropriate response to what Nicodemus has just said? Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting that what Jesus has said is wrong. Not at all. But I am questioning and wanting you to question as well how it fits. Is it just the case that this is such an important doctrine, such an important teaching that it could be said anytime and anywhere? Maybe. You will be hard pressed to find something more important to evangelical theology than being born again. But I don't think Jesus is springing this notion on Nicodemus out of nowhere. Remember again that we have already been tipped off by John to look for something lacking in Nicodemus. There's something missing, something that has left him and you and me as less than enough. So what can't Nicodemus do? In what way is Nicodemus not enough? Well, Nicodemus can't see the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, we'll see that this also means he can't enter the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, Pharisee, ruler of the Jews, is not enough for the kingdom of God. In his opening remarks, right, Nicodemus' opening remarks, he recognizes Jesus as coming from God. And he's, he knows that he's going with God, but he doesn't see Jesus as God. And that's something that has already been given to us in the opening chapters of this gospel. Jesus is God. But Nicodemus, by his own words, doesn't recognize the king of God's kingdom right in front of him. And if that's the case, how can he expect to see the kingdom? If anyone was going to be fit for this kingdom of God, it would be the leader of God's people, a Pharisee who kept God's word hidden in his heart, one who, in the words of Psalm 1, delighted in the law and meditated on it day and night. Yet even he was not enough. Now, of course, all of this assumes 
that you want to see the kingdom of God. For Nicodemus, this was undoubtedly true. And it's part of why Jesus' statement fits. Jesus, the Son of God, knows what is in man. And so he's able to cut to the heart of the matter. He knows that Nicodemus is concerned about the kingdom of God and eternal life. And so he tells him what he needs. But if you close your eyes and imagine a perfect day, is Jesus there? Do you desire to see the kingdom of God? Or do you desire a quiet day on the beach? Now, I don't mean to suggest that a quiet day on the beach is bad. I personally would love a quiet day on the beach. The glory of God's creation, the gift of rest, are things to be had with a vacation on the beach. Now, this hurt me to realize this as I'm preparing my sermon and thinking through this question. And it hurt me to write, and it's hard for me to even say, because this cuts me. But if your hopes and your dreams are anything other than the glory of Jesus Christ, then you are off target. And perhaps you don't desire this kingdom, the kingdom of God, because you're not really sure what it is. You hear people like me get up and talk about it, but you think it's all clouds and fat babies playing harps. Now, this is not the sermon for that, but it is a question worth considering. What is the kingdom of God? Because, biblically speaking, the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign over all things, it's the point. Now, you and I, we aren't enough on our own for this, for this kingdom. And as far as things go, we are probably much less qualified than Nicodemus. We're less familiar with scripture. We spent much less time desiring the kingdom of God in the first place. And even still, John makes it clear that Nicodemus and you and I are not enough. So according to John 3, what do we need? We need to be born again. Let's turn to verses uh, 4 through 10. They say, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. The first thing I want us to realize and appreciate from this passage, these verses, is Nicodemus's confusion in this conversation. Just because you're familiar with being born again doesn't mean it isn't a strange concept. And feeling some of this confusion, feeling some of Nicodemus's confusion, and what even amounts to frustration at times, has a payoff. For one, if you pay enough attention to this conversation, rather than racing through to theological conclusions, you can see some of the genius of it, and the genius of Jesus. When Nicodemus says, I know God is with you because I see the signs you do, Jesus says, 
you can't see the kingdom. When Nicodemus asks, can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Jesus responds, Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom. Jesus' responses aren't random. He's taking Nicodemus' questions and words and reorienting them. Still, Nicodemus clearly doesn't understand. But Jesus doesn't say, ah, that's okay, guy. That's okay. How could you have known? He says, you're the guy who's supposed to answer questions. You're the one supposed to be teaching other people. And you're stumbling over this? See, Jesus obviously thinks Nicodemus shouldn't be confused. Now, do you think that you could fare any better than Nicodemus without the help of the New Testament? Do you think you could open up the Old Testament, the the scriptures that Nicodemus would have had, and find where it teaches about being born again? If not, then you're probably starting to feel some of the confusion that Nicodemus surely felt. And this shared sense of confusion makes us better readers of the Bible. Not because we should be confused when we, when we read scripture, but because this is a confusing, hard passage. And if we don't feel some of that, then we aren't really engaging with what it says. The point isn't to shake you all up and, and give you some radically new answer. It's just to unsettle us enough, unsettle you enough to look at these familiar things with fresh eyes. So if being born again is the answer to the question, what will make us enough What does it mean to be born again? So Nicodemus, understandably so, can only imagine a physical birth. And even that, he he can't quite imagine. His mind isn't going anywhere beyond that. But there's an interesting meaning that's hidden in the English that's plain in the original Greek. What's been translated for us as again, that you must be born again, can also mean, and usually does mean, from above. In fact, if you have your Bible open, you can look over to John 3.31, and it says, He who comes from above is above all. And it uses the exact same word. So Nicodemus, he's not exactly wrong. We do need to be born again. We do need to be born a second time, but he is missing one very important piece. The second birth must be from above. It must be from above. And this is something Jesus clarifies in his next statement. He says, you must be born of water and spirit. Now, what's meant by spirit is obvious enough. The Holy Spirit of God must give us spiritual life. But what is meant by water? Some people think it refers to your physical birth which includes the breaking of water. Uh, But I've read scholars, I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own, but I've read scholars who say that's not a very common connection uh, in the ancient world, water and birth. So some people think this refers to baptism, where you are buried into death and raised into new life, a very real sign of new birth. But if that's the case, it hardly seems fair that Jesus would have been so critical of Nicodemus for not understanding what would only become clear in future Christian practice. So I think it's best to associate birth by water here, not with physical birth and not with baptism, 
but with the Holy Spirit himself. In both the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel, and frankly later in the book of John, the Holy Spirit and water go hand in hand with the work of God. And the fact that this can be found in your Old Testament, in Nicodemus's Old Testament, gives grounds for Jesus' criticism of Nicodemus. So Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28 says this. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. In that passage, water is a source of purification and the spirit is operating under a very similar principle. The spirit empowers one to live a pure life. And you may notice that here, that flesh is used in a different sense than in John 3. That flesh here is considered living as opposed to cold, dead stone. And flesh in John 3 is considered from above or from below rather than the spirit, which is from above. The idea between those is consistent, even if the metaphors there are not. But the idea of water and the spirit in this passage of Ezekiel is one of cleanliness and purification and the strength to live a righteous life. Isaiah 44, 3-5 say this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Again, in this Old Testament passage, we have the spirit and water, the water as a source of life. And just like the water gives life, so too the spirit gives life. See, I'll pour my spirit out and they shall spring up. They shall spring up like willows by flowing streams. So being born again isn't just some rebirth from old to new or bad to better. It's a birth that gives us access to the very life of God because it is from God. In order to see the kingdom, enter the kingdom, and understand things from above, you must be born again from above. So, so far, John 3 has told us that we aren't enough to enter the kingdom and that we must be born again. Now, that might sound an awful, an awful lot like the gospel message, but the gospel, it is not. Where's the good news in that? It's not good news to be told that I'm not good enough. It's not good news for me to stand here and tell you, you're not good enough. Oh, and you need to be born again, which is something you can't do for yourself. That's not good news. Let's look in verses 11 through 13. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Oh, I'm going to stop there, actually. 
Stopping in 13. Sorry about that. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Getting ahead of myself. In these couple of verses, we have the beginning of good news. No, I, I was wrong. I needed to read those verses. What, I'm, I'm getting all, all sorts of confused in my notes here. I'm going to keep reading 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's why I had to read those last verses, right? Because the beginning of the good news is not there in verse 15. It's, it's not there in verse 14 either. It's, the good news is there, but it starts in verse 11. The reason Jesus can speak of what he knows and what he has seen is because he has come from the Father. In fact, in the words of John 1, 1, Jesus was in the beginning with God and Jesus himself was God. And all things were made through him. And here he is standing among men as a man. He has descended from heaven to make heaven, to make God known. And he has come to give eternal life to whoever looks upon him and trusts in him. High and lifted up as both the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the Son of Man whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed, that stretches out over all of the earth. Eternal life with Christ means life in that kingdom. Life in the kingdom of God made possible through his atoning sacrifice. You are not enough. I'm not enough. Nicodemus, not enough. And you can be born again. Yes. But the reason we are born again isn't because God thought you're annoying. God was not annoyed with us. It's not because God was tired of you and I messing all of his plans up because we're so inept. He just, ah, I can't take this anymore. It's not because God was bored and he needed an interesting project to complete. You are not enough and you can be born again. And the reason is because God loves you. It's the familiar road. It's the familiar destination. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You are not enough, but you don't need to be. All you need is to trust the one who is enough, Jesus Christ. He is the way of salvation. He is the way to the kingdom. He is the way to be born again, to be made pure and given life by the Spirit. To have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to obey the things of God. Once you realize that you aren't enough, you open yourself up to the fullness of God's overwhelming love for you in Jesus Christ. Love that will not let you go. Love from which you can never be separated. Love that conquers death. When you stop trying to be enough, you can finally be free. Of course, you might realize that Jesus is enough to get you into the kingdom of God, but you might not think the kingdom is enough for you. You might think you still have to prove yourself at work or at school, to your family, to your friends, to random people on the internet or in the grocery store. 
You think there are things beyond the kingdom of God worth having and chasing. But those things will never satisfy you. They aren't bad. They just can't be it for you. St. Augustine once said of God, You have made us for yourself, and the hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's no good to realize you are not enough for the kingdom of God if you don't also realize that the kingdom, and more precisely the king, Jesus Christ, are enough for you. And if Christ the king, ruling and reigning in God's kingdom, is enough for you, and is the only thing that will ever satisfy you, shouldn't you seek those things with all your heart? And if you do, won't you find that you have truly, truly been born again unto eternal life? Not because of something you've done. Not because you were so amazing and earned it. Not because you were so qualified that God couldn't help but make you his own. But because in spite of all our failings, God loves you. The wonderful, this is the wonderful thing about following Jesus is you are not enough and you don't need to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it comes to us and meets us in our need. Um, God, the, the whole Bible is useful for us, but there are some passages, some places like John 3 that are so rich and so deep and, and could be studied for ages, and they have been. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to desire you. God, I pray that you would show yourself to us in your glory, in your splendor. That as we, frankly, work through the book of John, we would see that. As we look in this passage right here in John 3, we would see the, the brilliance, the, the compassion, the care of Jesus Christ. And that we would know that if we were in Nicodemus' shoes, if we were sitting there, if Jesus were to be here now talking to us, that same genius, that same love, that same compassion would be for us. Because God didn't come to save, or you didn't send Jesus to save some of us. You, you came to save the world because you love the world. God, I pray that, we, again, you would help us believe that, that you would give us strength. And Father, I pray that if there are people in here who are wrestling with the idea of being born again, who are confused by it, put off by it even, that you would, in your grace, work on them, that we as a church could be a support to them in the awakening of new life. Father, thank you for how you have blessed us. Um, thank you for how you have blessed this church, how you've blessed your church around the world, and that we have the opportunity to gather here and worship and be encouraged by you. I pray that we would do those things, be those things, and love you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.